believe in magic because I do. Today's guest is magical. Rosie Grace. Rosie is a writer, producer, and wearer of many hats who is happiest when she's telling stories. After graduating from Syracuse University with a major in television, radio, film, and an obscure minor in Renaissance and medieval studies, she moved to LA with big dreams. She began her career at the oh-so-glamorous Sprinkles Cupcakes, but soon broke into the industry she'd been dreaming about since childhood. Over the years, Rosie has worked in casting, development, and production, and has now happily settled into freelance life. Though she's happiest when she's writing and producing, she's been known to work as a screenplay analyst, production coordinator, script coordinator, copywriter, and even a COVID compliance officer. In 2020, Rosie teamed up with her creative partner, Nate Hapke, to launch Small Tall Productions and create a home for all the stories they wanted to tell. Since incorporating, the two have made several short films and recently completed production on their first feature film, 2-11, and here she is to tell the tales, Rosie Grace! Woo! It's such an intro. I'm all pumped up now. Yes, yes. Um, there's something so there's something so funny about bios. I, I hate like writing them and hearing them back, but then every once in a while you're like, oh yeah, no, I did do a lot. Cool. You've done it's a like lot. a good reminder. Yeah. A shit ton, actually. A very it's it's a story, really. I love sprinkles cupcakes. So it, it's I know it, the day jobs suck, but God damn it. Oh, those cupcakes. You must've gotten free cupcakes for a while. I, I did get some free cupcakes. So the thing about it was uh, shockingly, despite having worked there for a while, I still really like the cupcakes, but I was very popular because uh, I was working at Sprinkles right when I moved out here and a bunch of the people I went to college with, um, including Nate, who I know you had on the podcast. Uh, yes. We, we'd all moved out here from school and I would be working late and we'd close up around midnight and they would all be having parties as, you know, 20 somethings in Los Angeles do. Sure. And I would show up and everyone would already have been drinking for a couple hours. And I would walk in the door at about midnight with a box of cupcakes. Y'all, most and popular person I ever. immediately was the most popular person at the party. I did have to stop doing it after there was a cupcake fight one night. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. It ended up with the uh, my poor friends who rented that apartment had to like go get one of those rug doctor cleaners to get the cupcakes out of oh. the carpet. Cupcake fight. How could you waste so many cupcakes? Shame on you. Shame on them know. for doing that. Mm-hmm. Don't be wasting the Sprinkles cupcakes. They were. I worked at the one at the Grove, though, and this actually transitions into a rough day of Joe Bass. Oh, here we go. Kind of story. Uh, so I worked at the one in the Grove and you know, it's that for anybody who doesn't live in LA, the Grove is a big fancy outdoor shopping mall, um, very big touristy thing. And it's, it's lovely, but it's always packed. And the sprinkles there is a little cupcake shop tucked at the corner and they have like a glass window, a big glass window. And so you get these buses of tourists who come to the Grove and are waiting in line for these famous cupcakes. And they like tap on the glass and you, oh. feel, you feel like a fish. Yeah. Um, and you're like, I'm not in an aquarium. My mom came to visit and she, I was at work and she's like, oh, look at you. You're so cute. You're a little fish bowl. I'm like, well, that's not at all patronizing. <laughs> um, but we actually did have some, some not rough days in showbiz, but rough days in cupcakes because uh, oh. people can get very persnickety about oh, their cupcakes. Yeah. Um, We also had people who would try and run scams, which was super weird. Like people would come up with a box of cupcakes and be like, there were flies in my cupcakes. And we're like, (laughs) do you have a receipt? Do you know when you ordered? And we'd like go through and they never even had an order on the record, but they would come and try and like 
get free cupcakes because there were like flies or cockroaches or something oh in God. the cupcakes. That's you just open up and there's like a pile of dead flies. Like, no, there's not, there's no way this is even possible. No, I'm like, I'm in this kitchen. That's not, no. <laughs> um, that, and then just, you know, the really angry Brentwood bombs who were like, I didn't want this color cupcake. And I'm like, that's the color the frosting is. I don't know what else to <laughs> <tell> <laughs> Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Complaining I, about the cupcakes, complaining about the color of the cupcake. I know. I have this theory that the world would be a better place if everyone was required to spend six weeks working in hospitality or customer service or retail, just some sort of front facing people dealing with industry. Everyone has to do six weeks when you're like 18. And 100%. I think there would be a lot less assholes in the world. Oh, big time. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't even, I knew it was bad, but I didn't even understand it till I got there. And I was like, oh my God, when you're on the other side of the fishbowl, so to speak, you, it's just really awful. You see a different side of people. Oh yeah. And you know, I go around the holidays now and you see it even worse. So it's, oh yeah. Be a good person. It's not that hard. God, with all those lattes, holiday lattes and (laughs) annoying people and ah. it's 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 funny though because i will say the nice part about starting in sprinkles and the reason i started working there was because i moved to la big dreams and all that and i had interned out here but i didn't have a ton of work experience and you know getting those first few production jobs getting that foot in the door is tricky so the yeah. first thing i got was was sprinkles and i will say to this day i'm grateful for that job because um everything i got after that was a step up because at that point, it didn't matter if I was, you know, picking up a celebrity's dog's poop uh, for whatever <laughs> one day PA gig I was on. It didn't matter because it was better than boxing cupcakes. You know, I was 100%. on set. I was where I wanted to be. So everything is always step up. And those early jobs put such a perspective on it so that you can really be happy and proud of wherever you are. Not that it stops you from having rough days, though. <laughs> I think that happens at any level. Yeah, I would gladly pick up Brian Cranston's dog's poop. Uh, I, I wish it was Brian Cranston. Yeah. Like if, if you're going to pick up a celebrity's dog's poop, what celebrity would you want it to be? I like Great that. That's question. like a good party question. But the thing is, then it's like, you have to know if the celebrity has a dog, right? Like, yeah. do, Christy yeah. Teigen, do Christy Teigen and John uh, Legend have a dog? Because I would pick up that dog's poop. They, I imagine they do. I imagine they do. <laughs> Um, but luckily not all of my stories about picking up poop, but you know, we all have <laughs> yeah, Sorry, sorry, you brought that uh, no, brought us onto that tangent. I I'm love here, a tangent. I'm talking I about my it. obsession with Brian Cranston's dog's poops. I mean, you're talking to uh Miss ADD over here, so I, I will take <laughs> I will take the conversation and run with it. So feel free to yank me back. Per- this is good. I, I I'm a fan so far. I'm okay. a fan. So you've got so many rough days in showbiz. <laughs> You came, you're in LA, you know, you're self-producing. Well, so I, I kind of like, it's funny thinking about it as a journey, right? Because as the jobs get higher level, higher profile, so do the rough days. Um, but obviously you have the rough ones when you're starting out. And for me, it was so funny because there was this period of just like struggling to keep consistent work. And it all started with uh, what we will refer to as the incident, Um, (laughs) the incident, incident. I had been working at, um, an animation production company for 
about a year and a half. It was my third job out here. I worked at Sprinkles Cupcakes. I worked at Breakdown Services doing casting stuff. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. And then I worked at an animation company that has since gone bankrupt. Uh, mm. And they were a Canadian-based animation company that did mostly service animation. So it would be like, you know, Disney's got all these animated projects they're working on and they need someone to like do some of the lower priority stuff. So Hmm. like they took over and did service animation for, you know, like some of the Tinkerbell Pixie Hollow things, some of the Barbie Mattel stuff, Hmm. um, some of the How to Train Your Dragon Netflix stuff. So they would do all that animation, but they also had a development team. And that was where I was really part of was I was part of the development and sales team and team in LA. And I was an assistant there for a year and a half. And it was fun because I got to see everything they were developing and trying to push forward. And it was really cool. I had a great boss um, and I really liked working there, but I'd been there about a year and a half. And I like to joke that the universe gave me a little bit of a cosmic kick in the butt Um, because, you know, it was, it was comfortable. It was a good job. It was steady. And I was working my way through it, but, and I was sort of like, okay, I've been here long enough that it's either time to move up or move on. And I sort of Mm. knew that. And I had talked to the coordinator above me, who's this great guy. And I was sort of starting to think about it. And while I was thinking about what my next step was, um, there was some sort of delay with the payroll and that didn't Mm. phase me. It didn't think twice because the company was based in Canada and we were based in LA as the satellite office. So there were always like there were time changes, there were different country, things took longer sometimes. Um, so it didn't really phase me very much. And I was taking off a couple of days to go home and surprise my sister who was graduating high school. So I fly home, I surprise her, I have a great time with my family. And now the time comes and I have to get on a plane to go back to LA. And I love LA, I love living out here, I love my job, but it's hard to be you know, a country, like the entire width of a country away from your family. You know, yeah. you're, you're an East Coaster too. Yeah. Um, it, it's tough. So I had this great week and I didn't want to go home back to LA because I was just having such a nice time with my family, but you know, put on my big girl pants and I go to the airport. I'm literally standing in line to board my plane. And I get a call from my boss who says, none of us have a job anymore. The, the company is bankrupt. They have filed for bankruptcy. They're closing everything. And we need to get into the office first thing tomorrow to get our stuff out before they lock the doors on us. What? We had no idea. We had no idea things were this bad. Ooh. And again, I'm boarding the plane. Like part of my brain is like ready to just be like, screw it, I'm going, I'm just gonna go home because I don't have work to be in, but I had to be there, yeah. I had to help pack up and clean out. So oh. I'm literally boarding the plane, holding my phone, I'm like, you're serious. And he's like, I'm oh. serious, I'm so sorry. So I get to my seat and I hang up the phone and I'm like, okay, I don't have a job anymore. And the flight attendant comes by and I'm like, hi, I know you haven't started cabin service yet. I just lost my job. May I please buy a tiny bottle of wine? (laughs) And bless that flight attendant who was like, oh my God, absolutely. And uh, brought me my tiny wine and a cookie. I was like, okay, okay. Uh, it was like one of those little, it was, you know, like a Biscoff kind of thing, but it was like, she brought me my snack early with the little bottle of wine that I bought because I was just, you know, they sell the little dinky ones. And I was like, I just, not that I'm going to drink my problems away, but I could use an adult beverage because I'm on a plane for five and a half hours with the knowledge that I have no job, but the inability, like the inability to do anything about it. Yeah. Just to keep the feet on the ground. Yep. And so uh, the funny end to the story is I, I go back to LA and the next morning 
I get up jet lagged and depressed and oh. I go into the office and uh, my boss and the coordinator are there and we're all kind of laughing like, well, this is absurd, but okay. Um, we had just moved offices. Like there wasn't an inventory. The company didn't really even know what was there. So we were just like, what's ours, what's not. Uh, so we pack up all our personal things and we had just started to decorate this new office. And they had, you know, like stuffed animals and toys from all the projects that we had worked on in some way on a shelf by the door. Huh. And because uh, I have a childish thing where anything that has a face <laughs> to me must have emotions. I don't care if it's a stuffed animal or like if it's got a face, it's it's got feelings. That's true. Um, and as we're walking out, I see because we had done some work on how to train your dragon, uh, the Netflix series, there was a toothless plush on the shelf and we're walking out for the last time about to lock the door. And I just grab the toothless plush and I look at my boss and I go, I'm rescuing him. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay. Uh, and I, I still have that toothless plush. He's on a shelf in our closet. Oh yes. So I, uh, I rescued toothless from the office that was going to be locked up that day. <laughs> so if anybody, uh, if anybody from that company was missing a, you know, probably, $15 toothless plush. I, I will happily cop to my crime, but I maintain that it was, um, I was rescuing him. You absolutely did rescue him. He would have been <laughs> left there. He would have been thrown out. He'd be still there now collecting dust. Exactly. Very but sad. I, we all deal with stress in different ways. Mine is that I need to, you know, save something that isn't even alive. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful way to deal with stress. Yep. And, and, you know, losing your job then lumps you into a whole other ball of stress. I always, I, yeah. I, I laugh with people because there's, there's so many weird ways that your career in showbiz can go. Um, you know, you're either like you work one job and, and move up, move up, move up. Uh, like Nate at General Hospital has had this amazing trajectory where he's like been working there steadily yeah. um, and excelling for years as opposed to I have been hopping around from place to place. And there's, you know, per, pros and cons to both of them. But that sort of kicked off this space where I was just really hopping from job to job to job for a while. Um, because after that, I ended up at uh, my second showbiz story, Follows yeah. Me Closely. All um, right. I had a couple months of just like trying to freelance, doing some script coverage, doing, um, you know, some PA gigs where I could get them, but not nothing really cons uh, consistent. And then I started working with, um, I had a friend who was like, I know this guy, he needs an assistant for this show he's doing. And uh, there was this show, I think it might still be on, it's like a CBS morning show called The Inspectors. Hmm. Um, it's mostly just about like weird scams happening through the mail. Um, oh. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a trip. But so there was this uh, writer who was working as sort of like a supervising producer on it or something. He wasn't physically writing for it. Um, but he was, you know, overseeing the writers and helping the story and stuff. And he needed an assistant with for the show and for his personal projects. And so I started working with him. And as as often happens in LA, um, you know, the production wasn't local, it was in Georgia, not Georgia, I think it might have been South Carolina. Um, but we were doing it remotely from LA. And so we were working out of, uh, the writer had a guest house in the back of his yard and that was his office. And that was where we worked. And I had a desk there and it was great. Um, it was in a very shishi neighborhood in Beverly Hills. And <laughs> one thing that is true of LA is, uh, the parking enforcement here is not to be messed with. Yes. Especially on the West side, because they will tow you before they ticket you. Um, yes. And I had moved recently 
And I thought I had changed my address everywhere, but I had not changed my address with the DMV. And I did not know mm. that my car registration was up. Oh, no. <laughs> you can see where this is going. No. <laughs> so I interviewed for the job. I get the job. I'm very excited. Um, I park on the street in this neighborhood, which is like, you know, two hour parking except for street cleaning. And it's street cleaning day. So I go out to move my car. And it's again, this is my first day of work. Uh, I've been doing great this morning. I'm excited. I think it's going to be a good fit. I'm all excited. I walk outside to move my car at lunchtime and my car's not there. Oh boy. And I'm like, that, that doesn't make sense. Where's my car? And so I start running down the street. Um, by this point, also my new boss, who's very sweet, has noticed that I'm like frantically running down the street and has followed to be like, are you okay? So I, I catch the guy who's about to load another car onto the tow truck. And I'm like, um, what's, oh. I'm like, what's going on? Why I don't have any outstanding tickets. Why are you towing my car? I wasn't parked on the wrong side of the street. And he's like, your registration's expired. I'm like, what? I got no notice. I didn't know. He's like, well, your registration's expired and I have to tow your car. Like, what? So I'm like crying. I'm asking him like, can I pay the ticket now? Can you give me my car back? He's like, it's on the truck. I can't do anything. You have to oh. go. You have to go to the, the, you know, parking enforcement, whatever. And it's, it's Beverly Hills again. So everything is outrageously expensive. <laughs> so my, It my, was actually, his truck was actually an Escalade. He just put the car on top of it. <laughs> exactly. Honestly, I would not have been surprised. <laughs> um, but so my, my boss very sweetly was like, look, what you should do, because you can renew your registration through AAA, you're going to have an easier time there than you are going to the DMV. And they're not going to let you get your car back until you renew your registration. And I'm like, shoot. So he takes me to AAA, drops me off. I'm like, I'll get an Uber back for work. I'm so sorry. This is my first, this is my first day. And I really want to do it. Yeah. And my boss has already had to drive me to pick up my car. <laughs> so I, he drops me at AAA. I sign up for a AAA membership. I renew my registration. And then I have to take an Uber to city hall because that's where the parking enforcement thing is over in Beverly Hills. It's a really pretty building. If you're not like, you know, crying because you're so embarrassed and upset <laughs> um, and about to be out in exorbitant amount of money. Cause again, I had been out of work for a while. I didn't have a lot of savings and you know, first you pay the ticket. Well, I was going to have to pay the ticket. First you pay the AAA membership fee. Then you pay the registration uh, renewal fee. Then you pay the late fee on that. And then you go to get your car back. And even though they've only been holding your car for an hour, they charge you for a day of holding your car, as well as the cost to tow it, as well as the ticket you have to pay. Oh, man. And I'm just like, oh, fuck you, you LA. have got to be kidding me. I'm like, of all the people, it's, I'm like, I've been out of work for a couple weeks. It's my first day. And it was fine. I made it work. I got my car back. Everything was okay. And I showed up the next day and, and everything was fine. And I went back to work. And thank God I had such a nice boss at the time. But yeah. I was... More than the sting of having my car towed, more than the sting of, uh, you know, having to pay all the money, the biggest thing was like just being mortified because this is a boss that you want to think that you're responsible and can handle stuff. And I'm over sure. here just like, didn't pay my registration like some kid who doesn't know what they're doing. Ah. <laughs> uh, so that was, a, that was a rough day in showbiz. Oh, rough first day in showbiz for sure. Mm -hmm. Anything with cars, I feel like you're just, Oh, parking, yeah. driving, because I know Nate had his story about like getting hit uh, when he was on a coffee run. I feel like so many yep. bad days in LA just involve like traffic accidents or parking violations. Yeah.
yeah, it oddly is tied into showbiz. It is. It's it's not great. Um, but that's why for those of you who don't live in LA, this is why we bitch about traffic and parking as much as we do. Yeah. <laughs> because they will tow your ass. They will tow your ass. And they, yeah. you will uh you will have to pay out of said ass to get your car back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Park, parking enforcement is very efficient in Los Angeles. Very efficient. I'm yeah. so glad my tax dollars are going somewhere. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Ow, ow. Thank you. Ow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Oy vey. They get you. But so yeah, that, was my, that was my, and that was just a funny thing. That was in that long list of like that job. Um, this was like the first study job I had had since the last job ended. And then this job, uh, the things didn't end up working out between that writer and the production company. So he ended up getting let go from that job. And therefore I got let go a couple weeks in. Um, oh. So this was like the second punch in a row of like yeah. this period of like, get fired, uh, lose one job because the company goes bankrupt in the middle of all this uh, struggle to get work and pay a ton of money because your car has been towed by the city of Beverly Hills. And then on top of that, uh, then that job ends again through no fault of your own, just because it didn't work out between your boss and the company. Um, oh man it was yes that was a rough couple of months rough day in show streak yeah right it was it was a streak but like it was also um i have this theory that being out here the first like year or two you really have to go through it yeah and once you've gone through that first year or two like it gets better like my first year out here i had you know like a rough roommate situation which you know we all grew up and everything's fine and we're all friends, but you know, rough roommate situation, uh, rough breakup situation, rough work Mm. situations. Like the first two years of LA was like just this bumpy, bumpy, bumpy ride. But after two years, I was like, it's my city. This is my city. I've been through it here and I can say that it's my city. And, um, after you get through that initial, like what is even happening? Um, it gets easier. So I think at this point, I'm like, I like it here. I know it. I know to look out for parking. Um, (laughs) But to this day, I am so paranoid. Like, you can be like, okay, I'm going to park here and hope for the best because the worst that's going to happen is a ticket. I'm like, no, the worst that's going to happen is that I'm going to get towed. So I'm not going to park here in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. You can count on it. Count on it. Yep. Oh. Well, at least the boss was nice. That's actually kind of the, the, um, I would say the most unlikely thing in this scenario is that the boss usually in rough days and showbiz, the boss is like the bad guy. No, actually the city, this was, this was woman versus city. This was woman versus city. And in that case, the boss was nice. But then I was thinking about my bad days stories and like all of them were cars. The other one is, um, so we shot our first feature film this summer, which was so cool. It's called 2-11. It's this super contained feature, which I made with Nate, who, yes. um, as we said earlier, he is both my creative partner and my boyfriend. So we decided during quarantine, we're going to make a feature and it's going to be small scale enough that we can actually produce it and actually make it. And we're going to shoot it up in the mountains of the beautiful mountain town of Idlewild, which is, you know, up in mm-hmm. San Bernardino mountains. Like if you're going out towards Palm Springs, Palm Springs, you go a little further and then you go up a mountain and then you're there. It's beautiful. It's it sounds like it. Filming there was great, but getting there was tough. Mm. And Nate and I had done a location scout a couple months before. So we knew that it wasn't an easy drive. So we literally built in a day before shooting for everyone to get there. Our first day was just prep and camera tests. And we're like, okay, 
We're going to call everybody at different times throughout the day. You know, like we'll get there first, then we'll have our production crew come, then we'll have our camera team come, then we'll have our, you know, um, our cast come. And so we had the day staggered and we sent this whole email being like, be really, 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 really careful because it's the drive is treacherous. You're going up the mountain. It's narrow. It's, you know, mountain on one side, cliff on the other, sometimes without really anything more than a really, you know, wimpy guardrail. One of those. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we, we were planning to be up there first. We were going to leave early and we were going to be up there first. And we sent this big cautionary email to everyone telling them to be careful. Uh, And then we we're getting ready to set out. And Nate and I had originally planned to drive up together in the U-Haul that we had rented to take all of the equipment up. But we also had all of the craft services, all of the food for 10 days for 12 people, um, as well as all of our personal stuff because we were staying out there uh, and the dog because <laughs> the dog <laughs> was coming with us. Ah, uh, yes. Um, Miss uh, BB St. James herself. Uh, <laughs> so we were taking all this up and we realized, you know, before we left, like, this isn't going to work. I'm going to have to drive as well. So it's like, okay, Nate's going to drive the, you know, 20 foot box truck because he's a champ. I could never. Yeah. Um, I will just admit that. I, anytime I take on production work and they're like, can you drive a van? I'm like, I can drive a van. I cannot drive like one of the 15 pass vans and I cannot drive a box truck. I'm like, if you need a PA who could do that, if you need a production coordinator who can do that, I'm not your gal. I will say it right now. I'm like, I can drive a van and that is what I can do. Scary. But it's, it's scary and it's scarier when you're going up a mountain. But so we're going to go up to the cabin. We're going to be the first ones there. We're ready. It's our location and it's also where we're staying. So we got to be first. We got to get there before the rest of our crew. And we're ready to go. And we realize we can't put everything in the truck. So I'm like, Nate, mm. take the truck and everything that's loaded. You go. I'll finish loading my car. I'm 20 minutes behind you with all of the food and all of everything else. Because, um, you know, you can't put do- like six dozen eggs in the back of a box truck and hope that they don't break. That yeah. <laughs> didn't seem yeah. like a good idea. <laughs> unfortunately. Um, unfortunately, no. So I load everything into my car and I start driving about 20 minutes behind Nate. Uh, and I am just hitting the base of the mountain when I get a phone call from him. And he says, so I'm broken down on the side of the road. And I'm like, you're what? He's like, uh, I was coming around a tight turn and a rock hit the inside of the wheel and like the inside of the tire, like crumpled. Oh my God. Um, and thank God Nate is a really good driver and a safe driver. and was able to get into a pull off on the side of the road where he was like out of the way and safe. And I'm like, but it's like, again, we got a ticking clock here. Yeah. Um, so I keep driving and in about 20 minutes I get to him and he's still on hold with the U-Haul company. Uh, and this is, I know that everyone's like, don't get the insurance on a car rental. It's a scam. If you rent a truck like this, get the insurance because, uh, we not only needed, uh, someone to come and take a look at it, but ultimately we need someone to tow it. Mm. So, uh, if you have a truck or a production vehicle, insure that shit. (laughs) Um, advice. Nate was basically like still on hold with them trying to get someone to come take a look to see if it could be fixed. And he's like, you have to go to the cabin. We need someone there because, you know, people are going to start showing up, just go. And so the other thing that's happening at the moment is uh, Nate had an older phone that didn't charge by, you had to charge it with a wireless thing because the charging port that you plug into was broken. Hmm. So his battery is declining while he's calling, trying to get someone Ah. to come look at the car. 
I drive up to the cabin, uh, people start arriving and I'm just kind of fielding stuff because I, I can handle it. But again, my, you know, my partner in this is, is stuck on the side of the road, uh, in the heat, in the desert, in Los Angeles, in the summer, um, on a mountain. <laughs> so I'm getting updates from him as I'm trying to get everyone settled in, uh, and do as much as we can, you know, to, to not lose the day. Yeah. And so we get everybody to set everyone settling. It's fine. I get a call from Nate and he's like, so they can't fix it. They have to tow it. Oh. And I'm like, are they going to tow it back down the mountain? Cause we need that gear and we need to start shooting tomorrow. And fortunately, uh, I'm like ready to start organizing everyone to like form a caravan, drive down, load their cars, drive back up. I yeah. thought that was what we we're going to have to do. Thank God the guy towing the uh, box truck was like, I will bring this to where you need to unload it and then I'll tow it back. Oh. Um, so he saved the day. So he yeah. towed it. So, but before we knew all this, like Nate's phone was dying. We didn't know if we were going to be able to get the car up. I was sending one of our friends who was a PA. I'm like, can you just take your phone and a sandwich and some water so that Nate was like, he's there in the desert on the mountain. Again, I'm just like, I just need someone to make sure that he is okay and has yeah. aligned to civilization. <laughs> um, and of course, as soon as I sent Ben to do that, you know, Nate called and he's like, it's okay. The tow truck's here. We're coming to the, uh, we're coming back to the house. Oh. So they ended up towing it. And just the last little bit of insult to this crazy ass day is that they get the truck. It gets to set. Nate is safe. Everyone's there. Um, I haven't botched anything too badly. Um, and the house is at the top of a very steep driveway. And at the top of that very steep driveway is a very steep set of stairs. We knew we were going to have to deal with the stairs, but we thought we were going to be able to get the truck up the driveway, up the really, really long, really, really steep driveway. Not the case. Um, so they can bring it to the bottom and we basically just mobilize the troops. It's like, I don't care what your job is on this set. Please chip in. We got to bring all the gear, like everything to make the entire movie out of this truck up to the garage, up this like mountain of a driveway. And so, and as we all jump in to start doing this, uh, someone from one of the other houses is trying to get out, but there's no way for him to get through because oh. the truck is blocking the street. And so he's like trying to get through and I'm like, this isn't safe. Please don't do this. He's like, it's fine. And everyone is running around him, unloading stuff. And I'm just like, <laughs> what are we going to do? What is happening? Oh no. Um, and the anticlimactic ending is that everything was fine. Uh, he somehow squeezed through. We got everything unloaded. The truck got taken back. We had the insurance. It could have been worse. Everybody was healthy. But oh my God, what a stressful way to start a shoot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but props to Nate because he kept a cool head through the whole thing. And I don't know that I would have been able to. Um, and he has this saying, which we sort of adopted for every production, is uh, which is, something has to go wrong at the end of every, at the beginning of every shoot, right? Whether it's yep. like on one set, you know, we had uh, just, we were leaving to go to set and he dropped a glass water bottle and broke it. And we were late running late because we had to clean everything up. But something mm. has to go wrong at the start of every shoot, because then you can say, let that be the worst thing that happens. Mm. We got through it. Let that be the worst thing that happens. So that night we gathered everyone around and we had our first night dinner and we gave a little like, welcome speech and we're like and now we can say it let that be the worst thing that happens that's it that is it we're like if, if we can get through the week without any other major breakdowns that would be awesome 
Wow. And it was, aside from the, you know, heat that really got us, it was pretty smooth sailing from there. Oh, what a story. I mean, that scenario is impossible if you're not shooting a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and it's interesting. The, the tow truck driver in one story is the villain. In another story is a hero. You know, I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right. Maybe that was like the redemption. Redemption for the tow truck drivers. Redemption for the tow truck drivers. Yep. That's funny. I hadn't thought about that. I do like that all of my um, all of my bad days revolve around cars, though. I was writing up the list. I'm like, "Hmm, I don't have (laughs) good luck with this. It's yeah, it's cars. Oh man. What a story. But the, you know the movie's going to be good, though. That's the thing. You know the mm-hmm. movie's going to be good. Rough Day and Shoba's behind-the-scenes story, good movie. Jaws. I think so. Jaws, like Jaws, they had, oh, my God, they had problems, mostly with the sharks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it's not sharks, it's cars. <laughs> well, I, I love hearing about things like that after the fact, right? And that's why I like this podcast so much, is I, growing up, um, I didn't know that you could have a job working in movies, I didn't know that I wanted to work in movies because I didn't know you could, but I obsessively watched making of features. Like I had all the extended edition Lord of the Rings just so I could watch the behind the scenes documentaries. Yeah. Um, Same thing. Also, weirdly enough, the Pirates of the Caribbean DVD had great behind the scenes features. Yep. I remember. Mm -hmm. So I watched all of those as a kid and it wasn't until I got to college and decided to change my major that I sort of realized like, oh, all those things I dreamed about doing as a kid, those are real. Like you can do that. Um, But what I loved about it was it always seemed like such an adventure. Um, And in those documentaries, like the little behind the scenes things, you learn about the stuff that went wrong. Bring back the featurettes. Bring it back. That's why people bought them. That's why they were so Mm -hmm. popular. We just wanted those. Yeah, bring them back. I want to see them, featurettes. We actually, so our uh, amazing friend, Ben, who's kind of our right-hand guy on all of our sets, I'm putting him on the spot here because I'm I'm talking about uh, the cool thing he's making. But he was on two dash one one as our second AC and swing. Like he, you know, did some grip work, helped the camera team. Was just absolutely amazing. Um, he was filming the entire time, like from our first day of shooting when we did like a one off day here at the apartment through the oh. whole week there, and then we had our little like cast thank you party, cast and crew thank you party, and he was filming there and he interviewed everyone. Uh, oh, because nice. he's putting together for us like a making of from someone yeah. who was there. You'll have so bonus features. It's I'm like we don't have the DVD, but we're bringing back the bonus features because yes. we have because we have a Ben. Everybody should have a Ben. Oh, some of the best documentaries are 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 just you know essentially a long behind the scenes feature. Mm-hmm. I mean that's yeah yeah I'm excited about that. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited that he's making that. I'm like I can't. That's wait to so see cool. It. Mostly because I think we were so in the moment of making it that we probably missed a lot, right? Yeah. Because you're so hyper focused on like I have to get this thing done. Um, last car story though about two dash one one, an angry neighbor almost ran over Nate. What? Mm-hmm. Ah! Yep. Uh, that's that's my favorite because it's the most dramatic sounding. Uh, we basically were shooting on this back driveway behind oh. the property and the homeowner uh who who uh we were shooting at her property she was amazing she was the most wonderful helpful supportive person um and she had gone out of her way to help us get permission from the people who technically owned that driveway to let us shoot there and this driveway went to multiple houses but apparently there was one person specifically who owned it um and we're pulling out of uh we pulled out of the main driveway, took the one car full of gear around the back, 
And we were going to move the car off to the side of the road so we weren't blocking the road. But, you know, we're unloading all of our gear. We're getting set up for the first shot. The car is still there. And this, all of a sudden, we hear someone blaring their horn. And this woman is coming from her house down the street very fast, blaring her horn, like screaming out the window, like, you can't be blocking the road. Oh, um, no. Karen. It was a Karen. Oh, she was such a Karen. Because apparently, like, the day earlier that morning, like, the woman who owned the driveway, who was the one honking at us, had gotten into a fight with her son. And her son was the one who had given us permission to shoot there or something. There was some behind-the-scenes thing going on with the family. So I was already on edge. And then she comes out blaring on the horn and, like, screaming at us for blocking the driveway. And it's our DP, Nick's car. Uh, but he was in the middle of setting something up. So Nate uh, grabs Nick's keys and runs to the car to start moving it. And he gets in the car and he starts reversing uh, to go like to get out of the way. And as he's reversing, this woman just keeps driving, like keeps driving fast, like at him as though she's going to bumper car, like run him over uh, until uh, screaming at us the whole time. And we're like, you asked us to move and we're moving. This is a process that's taking two minutes. Like we're not, we're not blocking emergency vehicles. It's nothing like that. We're literally just unloading gear. So Nate managed to back off into a driveway and she went tearing down the street screaming about something. And Ugh. I was like, okay, guys, we need to uh, we need to finish this up because I want to be done before she gets back. Yeah. Like, I'd rather not compromise the uh, quality of what we're doing, but uh, oh my, God. my producer brain would really rather not have the cops called on us. Yeah. See, that, like, that's what I see coming as soon as, yeah. It's like, oh, well, here we go. And ultimately, like we were in the right, we had written and signed documentation from her okay. son uh, and a permit to film there. Like we we couldn't have technically been kicked out. It was just more of a headache than it was worth. Yeah. Um, I do actually, I learned a bit from that though, because then I kind of like rushed the crew in a way that as a producer, I wish I hadn't hmm. uh, because I was so desperate to get out of that situation. But I was, I think, more me catastrophizing because this woman had tried to like run us over. Yeah. Uh, when the reality was, again, legally, we were in the clear. We had all the paperwork filed. We had all the permissions. We had paid the fee. We had notified the neighbors. Like, it was just, she had a bad day, and she made it our bad day. <laughs> oh, my God. And then also, there is the fear of, you know, you've got equipment. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Expensive equipment. Yeah. What is she going to do? Exactly. I would really, Karen, rather not take a swing yeah. at our, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. No good. No, no, thank you. Everyone else who drove down that road was very sweet because we had like a tent uh, that we were not a tent, but like a, a, yeah, like a tarp or drape that we were using to, um, you know, cut some of the harsh light. And we would just basically, every time a car came by, they would, uh, our team would just run and like everybody would grab one leg of it and just pick it up so the cars could drive under it. And for the most part, people just thought it was fun. They would kind of just laugh and wave at us and be like, oh, good luck with whatever you're doing. Oh, that's um, nice. Yeah, which people kind of are usually very respectful of filming. Like mm-hmm. it's it's nice, it's refreshing. Except uh, except for the Karens. Of the except world, for too. the Karen, of course. Not so much. You, yeah. <laughs> Not so much. Can't do anything. Can't do anything no. with the Karen. But I was like, come on, we actually permitted, and like you know, the the crux of indie filmmaking is like it's constantly a debate of whether or not it's worth it to permit, uh, and that basically comes down to whether or not you're going to get caught. Yeah, because uh, there's. I'm glad you did. I'm really glad just the peace of mind knowing like, you know what, had something happened, we, yeah. we would have been covered because she's got nothing on us. She's got nothing on us. Come at us, Karen. Yeah. We have the high ground. Yeah. Morally, at least. <laughs> Morally. Mm-hmm. And legally. And, and legally. legally. 
But yeah, I feel like my takeaway for working in showbiz is just cars suck. Cars if you, suck. If you can avoid them, avoid them. It's not the most walkable <laughs> city, but uh, yeah. Watch where you park and try not to run over people. I feel like that's my two cents. <laughs> Terrific advice. Strong advice. If you can get through the tough stuff that starts the day, and if you can have that, you know, gratitude mindset of like, I'm here, I am safe, everything is okay. Let that be the worst thing that happens because I can handle that. Let that be the worst. Let that be um, the worst. And we, can, and we can handle the rest. We got it. We, we got, got it. it. Yeah. We got this. And so um, what do you have coming up? We have a couple of short films currently out on the uh, festival circuit. Rideshare. Uh, which is a romantic comedy, as well as our three, like we did an anthology of quarantine shorts, which are called Empiricism, Scene Study, and What's Yours is Mine. And all of those are currently out on the festival uh, circuit. I wrote some of them. I produced some of them. Uh, I produced all of them uh, alongside of Nate, who directed and produced them all as well. And I am going to be directing for the first time in January. Mm. My very talented friend, Amanda Quigley, is... Uh, has launched a really great YouTube channel uh, where she does some phenomenal covers and has music videos that accompany them. And I'm going to uh, cut my directing teeth and do Ooh. one of those for her. Mm -hmm. So I'm taking on a new challenge. And uh, we have 2-11, obviously. It has pretty much finished up the post-production process and is out to festivals. So send us all the good vibes you can because then it will be, you know, coming to a town near you. Good vibes. Um, all the good vibes. And then hopefully a couple of short films uh, that we're going to make early this coming year. Because you can't, it. the grind never stops. The grind never stops. You and Nate are the, the prime examples of that. You guys are making so many projects. Um, and where can people follow you and keep up with all this? Yeah. So my personal Instagram, when I remember to post, is rosemary underscore mary. And then uh, for project updates, we are at smalltallprod. Small tall prod. Because mm -hmm. it's uh it's Nate and I, that's our production company. And I am five three and he is six three, so we are small and tall. <laughs> ah, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, small tall productions. I love it. And uh oh, I love the the story of this episode. We went from you know, when you you first got to LA to kind of the mid, and now you're producing. Incredible. Thank you. I know I, I, it turned out to be like a really nice retrospective, like, like we Beautiful. were talking about with the bio at the top of the episode. It's such a nice way to look back and be like, there are blips along the way, but we keep, we keep moving forward. We keep moving forward. Thank you so much for being on here. It was a privilege to have you on here. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been awesome. My absolute pleasure. Rosie Grace. Woo! Woo!